Welcome to the Abbott Circle podcast. I'm Father Ambrose Christ, and I'm the novice master here at St. Michael's Abbey. We hope that you enjoy the following recording. To learn more about the Norbertines, visit theabbotcircle.com. God bless you. Actions speak louder than words. Nevertheless, as men and undefined undefined women, we are plagued with a certain drama of internal dialogue. It plagues us when we are awake, when we sleep, and even when we are wrapped up into the greatest heights of contemplative prayer. And every once in a while, our internal dialogue becomes something of the external. It becomes present to our neighbors, and in a new way, it is made present to us. Often we think, why did I just say that? Or why did that just seem important, and yet it makes no sense as to how it is even relevant for the present moment? Or we might mock or belittle ourselves for thinking things that others should likely perceive as foolish. On the other hand, we somehow know that with every outward manifestation of our hidden dialogue with God, the Lord, who often shrouds his voice in mystery, deigns in his wisdom to bring about the fruition of his ineffable plans. No speech No word, no voice is heard, and yet the divine action never fails to break through the deafness of the hearts of wayward men and women. And all of us men, through the indwelling Trinity, can make this divine action our own when we do one thing, when we forgive one another. As the Pope said, To err is human, but to forgive is divine. In the gospel for today's Laetare Sunday, our Lord gives us the parable of what we like to call the prodigal son. And this name can be misleading in that it only gives us a small taste of the delights that are contained in this lesson. Truly, we could write a psychological evaluation on each of the figures, the father, the younger son, and the older brother. We could fit them neatly into certain temperaments and then show them as more relatable to people who we either like or dislike. We could flip the roles and justify the actions of the older brother, who might be said to be the real victim in the parable. After all, His father isn't giving him the same equal portion as his brother, and he is technically the birthright, the firstborn, the one who ought to inherit the blessing. And still, we have to realize that for all of this sibling rivalry, both of these brothers hunger and greed after things that do not and cannot satisfy them. It is only through the father's actions and speech that each young man comes to realize that he has 
all that he will ever need in order to be happy right in front of him. So in order to come to a knowledge of what it is that will make these two brothers happy, we have to enter into the thoughts and the inner dialogue of the figures present in our Lord's parable, specifically the person of the Father. We have some idea of what the thought process of the prodigal son is. How many of my father's hired workers have food? Here I am dying from hunger. But what was it that initiated this messy breakup between the father and the son? What kind of longing preoccupied such a faithful father while he awaited his son's return? And so he thinks to himself, In the beginning, I, your father, generated you, my dear son, and brought you into being. I established you as my son, and I provided a perpetual relation to myself which would endure until death. I am the father of you, who will come to be known as my prodigal son. And you, my prodigal son, will never cease to be my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. My son, you cannot escape this relation, and why would you ever want to? I, as your father, raised you, nourished you both bodily and spiritually, allowed you to live under the shelter of my rooms and houses, gave you food, treasures, I hired servants so that your life would not be consumed with toil, but would allow for a certain leisure necessary to pursue wisdom. I prepared for you a brother who has experience of life and can show himself a friend in the greatest need. And yet, I understand that you cannot be satiated that the void within your heart cannot be filled with these many gifts, that you must search elsewhere, even knowing that you will find nothing better, and at last, that you will come back to me because I do not hesitate to give you all that I am and have. I would have you squander my fortunes and painfully run to every false sense of satisfaction merely so that you might see that you really seek one thing. Freedom from a wound that can only be obtained through forgiveness. And this I would extend to you even had you done no evil. And then the Father creates his plan of forgiveness. When I see him, I will ask him, do you want to be a part of my life? If he answers yes, then I will tell him, then what are you waiting for? Turn to me and I will love you even though you will not be satiated. And I will never cease spending the remainder of my days giving you all that I have.
And if he answers no, I will still run to him, throw myself upon him, and kiss him at least that one last time before he turns from me. In this way, I hope that he will at last remember me when he is in straits. For in the end, I know that he will come to me because I love him as if there had been no offense, as if there were nothing in the world or outside of the world that would prevent me from doing so, as if my heart would melt because of the joy I have at him simply being my son. I have no prerequisites to make amends. He is mine and I am his. He will return. And at the very same moment, the younger brother says to himself, I shall get up and go to my father and I shall say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. Treat me as you would treat one of your hired workers. Et surgens venit ad patrem suum, cum autum adhuc longe esset, vidit ilum pater ipsius et misericordia motus est, et occurrens cecidit supercolum eus, et osculatus est eum. And rising, he came to his father. When he was still a long way off, his father saw him and filled with mercy and running, he fell upon his neck and he kissed him. Et osculatus eum. And what does this kiss mean? Is it a foreshadowing of the son's inevitable betrayal and return to the vomit just left behind? No. Is it a sign of the father's fidelity? It is an echo of God's loving promises issued to his prodigal son, Adam, after he finally stopped running away. The kiss means this. But arise, let us go hence. The enemy brought you out of the land of paradise. I will reinstate you, no longer in paradise, but on the throne of heaven. I denied you the tree of life, which was a figure, but now I myself am united to you, I who am life. I posted the cherubim to guard you as they would slaves. Now I make the cherubim worship you as they would God. The cherubim throne has been prepared. The bearers are ready and waiting. The bridal chamber is in order. The food is provided, the everlasting houses and rooms are in readiness. The treasures of good things have been opened. The kingdom of heaven has been prepared before the ages.
But on second thought, there are some words that speak louder than actions. From our Lord's lips to each and every one of our hearts, he kisses us with joyous delight. And he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Thank you for listening to the Abbott Circle Podcast. If you enjoyed listening or were spiritually nourished, please leave a review to help our podcast grow. Thanks again. God bless you.